All right. Welcome to Boss Bitch Podcast. We're joined today by Rebecca across the, the pond, also known as the USA, not the pond. She's across the country. USA pond. It's an, earth, it's an earthen pond. It's an earthen pond. And there are a lot Why? of ponds in the middle of the country. So that kind of works, right? Yeah, it's true. There's and, ponds, there's some great lakes, there's rivers. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. And we're joined today by the lovely Gloria Martinez. I'm sorry. Whenever I'm like, I'm going to say the names right and remember them right off the top of my head, I'm, you can ask Sammy. I screw it up because <laughs> Sammy's last name is Junio. And I'm like, Boss Bitch Podcast is produced by Sammy Junio. I'm terrible. Anyway, Gloria Martinez and Julie Van Winkle. <laughs> Welcome, ladies. Oh, thanks that for having so us. Yeah, thank you so much. Of course. Um, do you want to just tell us kind of what you do briefly? Yeah, sure. Sure. So um, my name is Gloria Martinez, and I am a, a special education teacher in East Los Angeles. I've been teaching 17 years um, straight out of college uh, with Los Angeles Unified. And as of Saturday, I have a new position with um, our union, United Teachers Los Angeles, and I am the new elementary vice president there. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm super excited. Um, love teaching, you know, long walks on the beach and stuff like that. So, yeah. Awesome. What about you, Julie? <laughs> um, well, Gloria and I met through the union. We're, we're going to be calling it UTLA for future reference. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Um, and I also taught in LA Unified. I was a middle school math teacher, but right now I, um, I'm on a committee of three people and I'm the teacher representative and we oversee a hundred schools that have autonomies from the district. Like for example, some schools use different curricula, some schools have alternative schedules. So if schools want to have those kinds of autonomies, they get them through our group. Mm -hmm. And there's three people. I'm the teacher representative. There's a representative from the principal's union, and then there's a representative from the district. So, And then I'm also on the board of directors of UTLA, the union. And that's how Gloria and I met. Very nice. How long have you guys known each other? Like going on three, four years? Something like that. Yeah, we always, like, we were just talking about it before. We, like, kind of knew of each other because we did, we were both on the board at the same time, but, like, representing different areas. So we would see each other sometimes, but um, our paths didn't really cross as much. But then we ended up um, moving, like, close to each other in L.A. <laughs> so now we're also <laughs> practically neighbors, and we do all this union stuff Aww. together. And we just had an election where... I was running for re-election for the board and Gloria was running for the elementary vice president. So we're all on the same slate and we're doing a bunch of election stuff. And one thing led to another. And now here we are. And now here we are. New friends. <laughs> well, new-ish new oh, friends. Yeah. 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 Bitmoji um, friends forever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit what your experience with teaching in Los Angeles is like. I feel like it's it's a giant beast that most people don't know much about. So especially from a union standpoint, um, it's kind of two separate questions. But yeah, kind of what's your experience with being a teacher in such a big city been like? Such a multicultural, like large city. Well, you know, my experience, I guess I am a product of Los Angeles Unified. Mm -hmm. So... I had an idea of what it was going to be like, but nothing, I mean, it really is true. Nothing really prepares you for that first day of school. Like 
I feel so bad. I think most new teachers are just completely overwhelmed. But I was fortunate enough to stay in the same community the entire my entire career. Oh, that's nice. Um, so it was so it was really nice. And what I learned is that. Uh, you know, parents and community love and support teachers. Mm-hmm. And I also learned that people who don't know anything about education really should stay out of it because it's so complicated. And I think <laughs> we don't take into consideration the, um, you know, like some of the things our students come in lacking. Um, and we just assume that everybody has this picture perfect home where they can go home and do homework in like a quiet spot and Mm -hmm. we don't take into consideration that our kids actually come in with like a variety of experiences but not always are necessarily like there to enforce like education but other experiences that make them really neat to learn about and to work with Mm -hmm. but just not always prepared as much as maybe some other students in other more affluent areas right right um what about you julie what what's your experience been like well um for me it was interesting i'm from chicago and actually my brother for a long time was a teacher in chicago public schools um and he's he's like 12 years older than me so um but i wasn't really thinking about any of that like you know when i moved to la and I just, when I started teaching, it was, um, I started in middle school, which was a high need. So I was actually getting my credential at the same time I started teaching. Um, I, I got this class in the middle of the year um, in a school in South Central, which was a part of LA that I hadn't really spent too much time with. And, right. and um, so I was like, oh my God, I'm that asshole that is like coming in and has no idea what the hell I'm doing. And like these kids are going to be like forever messed up because I was their teacher. Did you feel like Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds? Um, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the first thing that came to mind. But, um, <laughs> but it was like a lot of the, um, the things you hear about like inner city schools. Like, you know, there were no books in my classroom. Like they were, right. they had all been just like, torn to shreds because they're and I mean you can't blame the kids I don't care where the school is if there was no teacher in the class for half the year and it was like period by period like somebody was coming in and like telling them to just like be quiet and do whatever half the year then you know I mean you could be in Woodland Hills and you would have the same issues with middle schoolers like in a classroom you know so um and you know I mean I definitely went into teaching because I was like I'm gonna make a difference all this stuff and um but a lot of the stuff like I realize now when I think about it I I wasn't like you always hear you know standardized tests are biased and that wasn't something I didn't believe but I didn't really understand what that meant and I remember it really clicked for me that first year at the end of the year um I found that I really liked teaching math and I had like one section of math and I was giving the math test, like the standardized test. And so I was like looking over the kids' shoulders to see what the questions were. And the kids were like asking me, you know, like, what is this? And I'm like, can't help you. But I I looked at the question and it was like, a dock is like 30 feet long and each plank of the dock is like this many inches. And so how many planks make the dock? And like these kids, they don't know what a dock is. They don't know what planks are. They they have never seen the ocean, you know? Right. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's what they mean when tests are biased, you know? So that kind of was like a, like a wake-up call for me, you know? Like, wow, it is like 
you know, I feel like especially coming from the Midwest and like talking to people from the Midwest and then he's like, oh, you're in California. Now you're going to be like all liberal and stuff. And like, yeah, you're like worried about being culturally sensitive and stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, you really have to be because, you know, like it's clear who is making these tests. And that's not the same person who is taking the tests at the schools where Gloria and I taught. And yeah. So yeah. I don't know, like I try to keep that in mind, you know, and think about like how do we do things as teachers and what are we doing that we don't realize is like biased in a way but it totally is you know and I mean even thinking about it I, I do stuff all the time that I'm like oh god why did I do that but I think teaching has really helped me like be more aware of just you know like how people are different and how there's like in like unbalanced um distribution of like power and everything absolutely yeah, yeah totally and it's also, I mean, I'd love to know more about your own educational backgrounds and histories, like specifically how it's different from now in the context of your teaching. Um, well, you know, my parents are, I'm, my parents are immigrants from Mexico and they always had given me, you know, the talk about how they came here for better opportunity and how like I could not squander that, right? So there was this, <laughs> always this expectation that, I had to do well in school. And luckily, you know, I I did surprisingly well considering that, you know, I also did a lot of stuff that was questionable in high school. <laughs> but, you know, we were all we're all young ones. But I I do remember like my my parents just reiterating that. And so I share that with my students a lot. And I think because of the population that I teach in, parents are appreciative of their students saying, oh, that's what my teacher says also. And, you know, and I share a lot with my students, like my story about my parents and how they struggled. And, you know, especially this year with the election, um, you know, the next day we all kind of sat around and I shared with them the story my dad shared when he crossed here illegally mm -hmm. and, you know, how that was really hard. And so the students started sharing their stories. And I, I told them, like, look, you know, it repeats itself because we're all coming here for, you know, that quote unquote better opportunity. And it's it's hard as a teacher because I do wanna give them this opportunity to believe that they can accomplish anything that they set their mind to. And I definitely want them to believe that they can achieve their American dream. But also the reality, like Julie stated, like you know that there is like an unequal distribution mm -hmm. of resources right. and that some communities have more vocal parents or more organized parents or just can afford to like buy a PE teacher or an art teacher right so yeah. this year it changed my tone I changed my tone because it was kind of like look guys we know who the enemy is like no one's going to give you anything and the only way we're going to really like get ahead in this in this world is if you get yourself an education mm -hmm. so I'm sorry that I was like putting on my pink rosy glasses before but I'm gonna take them off like that's it guys like we gotta organize and we you know and yeah. they knew that I was running for this position you know they're they're a fifth grader so they didn't really understand the gist of it completely but you know I said I'm, I'm gonna go out there and keep fighting because I can't just keep fighting for you guys I had to keep fighting for more students mm -hmm. so that was really nice to see them accept it because I was we were kind of having a hard time like the, me leaving them and them leaving me you know mm -hmm. but I think 
luckily I was able to connect with my students with my story from my parents. But Absolutely. it was just understood, you know, like I'm an only child. It was just understood, like, look, you're gonna do your homework and you know, that whole like you don't have any other job except to do your homework, right? Mm-hmm. I was I was scared enough to listen to that from my mother like all the time. I don't know if the students that we currently serve always have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of parents work two jobs. A lot of parents, you know, the, the family dynamic is different now than it was when I was growing up. So, you know, but I think sharing commonalities with your students is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just yeah. having a figure that they can look up to who, yeah. you know, it, it is different now, I'm sure, than when you were growing up, but there are a lot of similarities. So, you know, showing them that getting an education and even though growing up in a community that maybe doesn't get the most attention that it should, you know, they can still thrive, right? which I think is probably invaluable to all of them. Um, what made you move... Absolutely out to Los Angeles. Oh, I went to college at UCLA and then I never came back. Hi, bye Chicago. And and how's your education different um, like growing up? Yeah, it's interesting cuz um I like my mom's family is Polish and so um mm-hmm. you know the immigrant experience that like my grandma had is like different than a lot of the kids that I taught who are, who come from immigrant families have. But we also like, I, I feel like I maybe had like a little bit better of an understanding than people who whose families have been here for like a really long time. And then we also have this like mutual Catholic thing going like, I wouldn't consider myself a Catholic right now, but, um, you know, LAUSD is about three quarters Latino and, Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of the, a lot of the students, not all of them, but a lot of them come from Catholic or like Christian homes, you know? And so, um, I feel like I, that was definitely an advantage, like being able to relate to what they would do at home with all, with all the like guilty Catholic stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. And I, but I think it's interesting, like, when I think about the differences, um, it, it, I mean, I think the time that I went to school, like, it wasn't even just Catholic school, but every school was kind of more, I, I think about it in terms of a math teacher, because that's what I am. Um, when I was at school, like, everything was very memorization-centric, like, you memorize formulas, you memorize your facts, all this stuff. It was, like, a lot of individual work, and and then something that made me really like math was this idea of like inquiry based conceptual things where like you get a scenario and it's like you're challenged to figure out a solution to this problem or to like solve a puzzle. And I think that like when I think about teaching now, I'm like, if I can get kids excited about like wanting to solve a puzzle instead of just being like, oh, no, th- what's the answer? I give up. You know, then that kid is going to be successful, like not just in math, but in school and also in life, I think. And um, it was interesting, like when I, I went to get my master's degree um, and I wrote my paper on like how how math teachers, diff- like how they teach their female students versus how they teach their male students and are certain ways of teaching more beneficial to girls. And, you know, the research that I did kind of indicated that having more of these like conceptual topics where you're working together in a group to solve a problem 
um, benefits the female students and female students do a lot better. The male students don't do worse, but the females do better. Interesting. Whereas if it's Mm -hmm. like very kind of regimented, memorize this, like who can do the most math problems the fastest, like the the male (laughs) students tend to do better. And and another interesting thing I also found was that um, math anxiety, like girls get that from female teachers who have math anxiety but boys don't, and they don't get it as much from male teachers that have math anxiety either. So, what exactly is math anxiety? Yes. So, well, it's it's kind Great. of like some people probably know. But <laughs> it's kind of like just test anxiety. You know, like you have this you have this idea, like, oh man, I'm bad at math. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to. Oh God, is that math? I can't do it. And I mean, I see that a lot. Um, you know, when I talk to parents of students, there'll be some parents, you know, I'll say, oh, you know, your student is struggling and, and they'll be like, oh, that's okay. You know, like I wasn't good at math either. And I'm like, no, yeah. don't no, say don't that. Say like, <laughs> <laughs> at least pretend you were good at math. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it is, cause it is kind of one of those things that is like stereotypically like, you know, girl, like there was that Barbie doll that was like, oh, I'm bad at math or whatever they said, you know? So I feel like it is kind of like people think all that stuff is past, but it's not really like there's Mm-mm. still a lot of like gender constructs that go on in school. Absolutely. Um, so we kind of touched on it a little bit, um, at the beginning, but speaking of standardized testing, which I feel like so often people talk about how in public schools, the teachers are pressured to teach to the test. Right. Do you feel like Mm -hmm. that is a problem? Can you speak to that? Do I feel it's a problem that teachers feel the need to teach to a test? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, luckily, like through our work via the union and just like the movement nationally and like a lot of parents getting involved Mm -hmm. and really knowing their rights, I think there's been somewhat of a pushback, at least in LA, to like tie a standardized test score to like a teacher's salary or like a bonus or Mm -hmm. some kind of like incentive Mm -hmm. pay. But, you know, teaching to the test, first of all, it's extremely boring, right? Like there's no like room for creativity, but it also creates a kind of people we don't want out in society, like people who like take shortcuts and it doesn't Mm -hmm. promote creativity and not all students do well in test. Mm -hmm. So it, it really does not, Teaching to the test doesn't is not a true measure. I, I mean, I've, I have yet to find a class where, well, first of all, I'm not the kind, I've always been very fortunate to have really good administrators and, you know, that feel like, okay, you, we know your system works. We know that you are strong in these areas. Like, just get it done, right? So I've been That's very great. fortunate. Yeah, and I have really good parents because I sometimes, because I'm a special ed teacher, I'll have their student for more than one year. Mm-hmm. So we build, like, a strong relationship. But, um you know, like teaching to the test is the most, it's the surest way to create a system of failure. It's the only way I can put it. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Yeah. And I mean, in in LA, there are such limited resources at the actual schools anyway, that, you know, the two subjects that are tested a lot are math and English. So, you know, a lot of schools, especially ones, you know, like Gloria mentioned earlier, the schools that we worked in, they don't have parents that have like a booster club that are like, we're going to raise money and we're going to get an art teacher. And also like, you know, I'm going to come and like volunteer my time and do a composting class. And so like, we don't have parents like that at our schools. Like, you know, they, they try as hard as they can, but they're working a lot. They, they're not like, 
you know, the schools that we, te- we teach at are the ones that like maybe somebody else would throw a fundraiser for, but they're not like organizing their own right. fundraiser, yeah. you know? And, and so, so it kind of ends up being like the bare minimum. And so when something gets cut, it's like the art program or the music program. And, and, um, at the last school I taught at in Echo Park, um, we had an art teacher that would come once a week, but sometimes she didn't get to all the classes. And so she never knew the kids' names. They could, they didn't really have a space. They were just like in my classroom. So it wasn't set up to be like an art studio. And, you know, I mean, I guess when I think about it at my school that I went to, we also only had art once a week, but at least we had like a room we could go to that was like the art room, you know? And, um, (laughs) so it, it is like, teaching to the test like you teach a double block of math a double block of English and then if you have time there's like maybe some science and some history you know Mm -hmm. and and I think that that's unfortunate too and I I mean for teachers it's punitive too because you know who gets lower scores on tests like kids that have trouble like reading and writing in English you know so I remember when I was at um the middle school that I taught at in Pico Union um there were kids that um like you know, you had the, you had like your English learner class and then you had your like regular class, you know? And, and so we get our test data and it was like, this was in the old system that was like advanced, proficient, basic, below basic and far below basic. And that was like how the kids would get their grades. And we would always get these colored like printouts of how our students did. And I was like, first of all, where are you getting color printouts? Because, like, I don't have access to color. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um, but this then is it was where like, all our money's going. <laughs> you know, it's like the teachers who had the English learners, their page was just all, like, red with a little orange and a little yellow, you know? And then the kids that had, the teachers that had the, like, kids that were proficient in English, you'd see some, like, blue and green on there, too. Mm-hmm. And then if you had the honors class, it was, like, all blue and green. I was like, well, so it makes you feel bad as a teacher. It like, does. oh, God, you know? And, yeah. it, and it's, like... It is kind of, it's, it's sad for the kids. Cause if you are labeled as like, you're far below basic, like, you know, that's not going to make yeah. you very motivated to, you know, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of demoralizing totally. and humiliating the same way that when teacher salaries are tied to that, when they had that thing called like the value added measures where you could be like uh, an ineffective teacher, you know, it's like, I mean, come on, you're doing so much work and you're trying so hard, but like, you know, and, and all this stuff kind of makes you not want to collaborate. Cause then also if you're doing things the right way, you know, and your, your kids are like, you have this formula to make your kids pass the test. Like you're not necessarily going to share that with everybody else. Cause you want to have the best days. Cause oh. teachers, like we all kind of like want to be the best. That's why we became teachers. Like we were that kid, you know? <laughs> so. We're going to change the world. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, then- it feels like there's so many, there's so many false starts to like so many like misguided ideas with the schooling system and like trying out like incentivizing or like you know trying out a program that like fails because it's very misinformed like it just feels like there's so many of those you know that's kind of put on the schools yeah Um, I mean that's what everybody says about LUSD and and a lot of large school mm -hmm. districts like you're building the plane while you're flying it or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and sometimes I feel like Sorry, a lot of those people that are throwing money or maybe not throwing money, but definitely criticizing um, the education system really have no experience in the classroom. Because Mm -hmm. when you're in the classroom, you know, like I, like Julie, I was hired on an emergency credential because they needed teachers galore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. I ended up falling in love with it. But 
you know, I, nothing prepare, could prepare you for being in there with 30 bodies. And I always make the analogy, you know, when you have children, like let's say you have two children, you know that with one, you can kid more than the other. And you know that the other one you have is a little more sensitive or maybe just a little more in tune with their feelings. So, you know, you know, you have the way you share things or express things to them might be differently. Right. Well, imagine that mm-hmm. 30 times over when you're trying to teach algebra. Or Shakespeare or, you know, the um, the American Revolution. (laughs) It's, you know, these abstract concepts are first of all abstract. And Mm -hmm. then you have all these different little attitudes and minds. It's hard to capture. I mean, when you when you're as great as Julie and I, like we can do it, (laughs) but it takes time. Right. It takes time. And that's definitely it's something that maybe you can be born with or maybe you can nurture out of you. But if you haven't taught in the classroom, then you need to listen to the teacher. Absolutely. Have you have you felt um, in your careers? You've said um, that you have had good luck with administrators and everything. Has there ever been a point that you felt maybe that you weren't listened to and you had to? I don't know kind of take creative measures in order to get your point across or just did you keep doing what you're doing and hope for the best? Well, I, I personally have not, but because we're in the union, we deal with a lot of Mm -hmm. issues like this. And, um, you know, we're definitely like an organizing model. So getting people to organize and getting parents to organize is what we want to like instill in, in teachers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can get completely bogged down by teaching, like just planning your curriculum and making it interesting and making your classroom look cute. And we go above and beyond every day. Right. So I could see how, like, if you're a teacher, you're just going to like, like, I'm going to close my door. I'm going to get my job done. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to worry about this person messing with me. I'm not going to make it my business. But in reality, it does affect like the moral, the morale, excuse me, the morale of the school, mm-hmm. you know, the parent involvement. Mm-hmm. So I've been very lucky, um, but I know of schools that we've had to organize parents and teachers. And when that happens, like, like you kind of kick ass. Awesome. Yeah. And I know for me, like I, I around, um. 2007, 8, 9, those were years when they started making a lot of cuts in LAUSD. And Mm -hmm. I've been teaching, I've taught at a lot of different schools. And one of the reasons is because they, you know, if you had a little bit less seniority, like you would get, you might get like a pink slip or get laid off. And then like that would always happen with me and with a bunch of friends that I had that taught at this middle school, like every year we get a pink slip, but we knew we were going to come back because we taught in an inner city middle school. And, like, <laughs> and at that time I had my elementary credentials. So then I like went back and got my other credentials. So then they couldn't mess with me because <laughs> no one has a math credential. But while that was happening, that's like kind of how I got involved with organizing. Cause it, it wasn't my administrator either. Like, you know, our whole staff of, of all the schools in LA, this middle school that I was working at um, in like an immigrant community near downtown, it had the most new teachers. There were something like um, 75 to 80% of the classroom teachers got um, got laid off at the end of every year because we were all like brand new. Oh my gosh. And so we, you know, the community was really upset. It was this new facility. Um, my friend and I had been teaching at a different school across the street and then that school opened up and we were like, let's go, you know, so 
they hired a bunch of new teachers. So we were like the senior teachers with two or three years of experience. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, we kind of had to like lead the charge. So we organized, um, kind of the community of the school with a lot of parents and students and, and then all the neighboring elementary schools and stuff too. And we ended up having like, we had this big march to the administrative offices about like saving the teachers. And we kind of had this like day of the dead theme because it was like the death of education because we're like yes, firing all awesome. the teachers. <laughs> and then it ended up like culminating in this like, two or three week camp out in front of the administrative office it started out like we were camping out outside of the school and I remember like I was taking like showers in the in the PE room like before school I was like <laughs> we had the custodians like watch the doors That's <laughs> going. and um and then we like moved it to the administrative headquarters so we were like literally camping out in the street for like two or three weeks and it was I mean it was neat like the community really got involved and like Dolores Huerta came for an afternoon and like sat and supported us and like we had like Aztec dancers come and like, it, it was amazing. really nice. Like it was cool. And that's kind of like what got me involved in, in the union. Like we still ended up, it didn't really make a huge difference in terms of like our school at that time, but it was kind of like our message was, you know, like it's, it's not like, I believe a hundred percent in seniority because if we didn't have seniority, then like we couldn't openly organize because we'd be targeted and, you know, a lot like you know we were kind of like well maybe we we're like a pain in everyone's ass and like part of them wanted us all to be fired but like but um but I think you know there were still there's our district has so many administrators has so many people working in the headquarters but yet the individual schools especially when you get into the more um, low-income areas really just have the bare bones to like pass the legal standards and nothing else you know and so our message was like there needs to be more money given to the school sites and the classrooms and the district had enough money to fund those teacher positions and they could cut elsewhere but they made decisions that we didn't think were the best ones so then I like that's how I got involved with the UTLA and getting on the board of directors so this is I guess this is like my seventh year on the board of directors now wow. um, yeah that's amazing oh, um, that is amazing I wanted to ask I just want you to like give us a little bit about like why the union is important and kind of like for Absolutely. anyone who's like not super familiar, um, like your involvement and then really like why it's not even just to like, uh, the LA County schools, but just like schools in general. Well, I think, um, for me, I, before I taught at that school where we did all the organizing work, I worked at a charter school for three years and it was an independent charter, <laughs> which means that it's not part of any school district. It's its own school it gets like if you imagine state funding being a pie chart, um, like every school would get like a little slice of that pie, whether it's charter or whether it's public, mm -hmm. um, you get like a cert certain amount of money for every student that you have at the school. But then charter schools are like privately owned and operated. So um, so they're taking like public money, but then. They don't, you know, like the, the teachers don't have to necessarily have credentials and you could be fired at any time. And um, yeah, at the charter school that I worked at, like, you know, there was a there was a woman who well, first of all, we were in this building that had like no windows. And it was I was like, how did this get zoned to be a school? And before we had that, we were out in the park because we didn't have an actual building. Wow. So it's kind of um, there was like this charter boom in the early 2000s where it's like charters could kind of like do no wrong. So it, but it was really this like janky operation. Um, <laughs> and it was just like this one woman. No, no, none of us had kids except for this one woman. And we would just have like these surprise meetings every day, you know, and, and um, 
she could never go to them because she had to pick up her son. And, you know, the, the, the principal of the school said, well, now I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to hire anybody else who has kids, you oh, know, and it's just my like, God. wow, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just yeah. all these things were happening, you know, like, and, um, it, I guess for me, like working, you know, teaching is a really hard job and I think it takes a really long time for people to get good at teaching. And, and I think if you are good at teaching, like you always have that thing where it's like, oh God, I should have done this differently. I'm always skeptical of people who are like, oh yeah, I'm a great teacher. I know how to do everything. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, but I would say now, like if I had to either put myself in a stack of good or bad, I would put, I'm like, Gloria and I are both national board certified. So we're like, <laughs> we could teach anywhere we wanted. You're to totally this. legit. But yeah. yeah, so I feel like we're, we're in the good pile, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but you know, it takes a long time. And I guess the thing with charter schools is like, you, your job is completely at will. You get a certain starting salary, but there's not really a plan for you to like move up in a lot of cases. And so charter schools have a really like fast revolving door of teachers. And generally speaking, even at good charter schools, like the teachers, um, they, you know, they teach three, maybe five years and it's not really like a career. They don't really make it so that it's a really sustainable for a career. And I guess I worry that, you know, with the rise of charter schools, it's kind of like teaching is becoming like a Peace Corps experience. Like you do it for a couple of years and then you go get your real job. And I think that would be to the detriment of a lot of things, you know, but especially if you are a kid who goes to public school and then public schools are all privatized, like, you know, you can't control the message necessarily of what's happening. Like we've, there are a lot of schools that like, you know, have weird like funders and backers and stuff. And then, and it just kind of makes it deprofessionalizes teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. for me, unions, I, you know, I really struggle with this because I feel like there's obviously less and less union jobs for mm -hmm. for people and I feel like people who are much younger than I am don't see like a need because you know when you're young you're not really thinking like 401k and you know like I'm never gonna need to go right. to the hospital and if I have children like oh they don't need medical you know <laughs> insurance and whatnot but for me I've always when people say like the good old days you know of America right I don't necessarily see it the way Trump sees it or, you know, the GOP, but I see it as, you know, like the working middle class really thrive because of unions. Absolutely. So I feel that if we are to reinstate a union, like, excuse me, if we are to reinstate a middle class in America, which right now is pretty much non-existent. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I just saw something like nowhere in America can you afford to live if you earn minimum wage. Yeah. Right. So. If we are to reinstate like the the middle class, I really feel it's going to be through like union jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And so, unionism and labor as a whole, I feel is like at such a like a cusp of like where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. Because we were obviously beaten down, you know, tremendously a few months ago, um, and I feel that there is like what Julie was mentioning, there is definitely a need or like a desire to privatize, you know, um, the medical industry. There is a need to privatize education and it, it comes on the, like in the name of change and maybe like being um, reformers, but really what it's doing is really hurting our system and trying to do something on the cheap mm -hmm. that really, I'm not saying we need to throw tons of money to everything, but we've seen what privatizing jails has done for our right. system and it's totally mm -hmm. screwed blacks, browns, it's screwed, you know, um, 
the system of like the judicial system. Like mm-hmm. the judge no longer has the authority to say what can and cannot be a, a, a sentence. Like there's laws, but that's because we've privatized jails, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a profit in there. We've privatized mm-hmm. um, the medical industry, which, you know, I spoke on a panel last year where a nurse was saying that they received a patient who had dialysis at the same hospital, but because the dialysis was an outside company, they couldn't have access to their records. So they had to request them from this company and wait. And meanwhile, their patient is like, I just had dialysis this morning and now I'm not feeling well. And I'm thinking this is bullshit because yeah. it was so much cheaper to pay a, you know, a private company to outsource this than to pay a union nurse. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's what yeah. the charter industry is doing to America and you know, especially in Los Angeles, which is like the hub of charter expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the more we have these discussions and you know, thank you C-SPAN and CNN and MSNBC for running DeVos speaking on, you know, she's secretary of ed, like speaking her adorable little mind (laughs) on education I think people are having this conversation because just yesterday you know my neighbor is like oh you're on vacation I said oh yeah I'm starting a new job on Monday and as soon as he said that he's like oh you're gonna take on DeVos and like this guy has nothing to do with education he's an older gentleman he doesn't have any children and I I almost wanted to hug him because I'm like yes that's the plan like thank you for knowing that you know and absolutely so so, you know, we have to just have these conversations and I think trusting teachers and valuing what we do and, you know, yeah, you know, it's going to come at a higher cost, but in the long term, this is what's going to be better for our country, mm-hmm. like in order for us to like really get out of this slump where, you know, there's more homeless than ever, where people can't afford to live within miles of Los Angeles, it's just ridiculous. Like it's crazy. 85% of print of teachers can't afford to live in San Francisco or something like that. Like it's just, it's unfair and it's just appalling. Yes. I, I read something last week that said, basically if there was a, a, um, a disaster situation that happens in San Francisco, EMTs and emergency personnel won't be able to get to them mm. in time because they have to live so far out of the city. Oh, wow. Um, it, it does feel, it does feel like, uh, you know, there, there's a problem with greed and the privatization and for profit mindset that the country has kind of, uh, run, like gone into this, this weird, um, era that we're now inside of. So, uh, as parts of, as, as, you know, officials in your union, how, how do you, how do you feel like you could counteract it? Like what, what would you like to see happen within your union and kind of in the organization? I mean, no, we won't give away any secret plans or anything. No union secrets. Unless you want us to. (laughs) I mean, I think that's, you know, that's another aspect of it. Like everybody had, you know, in, in LA alone, there are nearly, there might be over a thousand schools. It's like somewhere around it's like 843, yeah. somewhere. Oh my God. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, if we round it up. <laughs> but, yeah. So there's, you know, it's just a really vast district. And even if you're really involved with your school just by itself, that that's just like a little speck on the map of, of LA schools. And so, you know, taking that kind of collective action is what we need because, you know, 
right now, just with the way, like Citizens United and everything, there's all these privatizers that have like zillionaires pouring money into their campaigns and stuff. And, you know, if, if every single school is trying to fight for their little piece of the pie by themselves, that's not going to happen, you know? And so like having a union is a way that we can take collective action and talk about like, what do we as teachers believe in and what do we want to fight for? And I'm, I'm really proud to be part of our union right now because, you know, in the past, historically, and even with a lot of other unions that, that kind of are less like, um, they're, they're in industries where they're not dealing with people like kids, you know, you know, a lot of times people say like, oh, well, teachers, those greedy teachers, like, what about the kids, you know, but we're not just fighting in our union, we're not just fighting for like our benefits and our salary, that's part of it, but we're also you know, advocating for better conditions and for our students that we teach, you know, so it's, our union does tie social justice issues into our whole mm -hmm. platform, you know, and one of our slogans is like fighting for the schools that LA students deserve. And, you know, that means fully funded schools that like, where schools don't have to decide, do I want to have a nurse or do I want to have, you know, a, a counselor at the school, yeah. you know, so that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I know. that's like a, that's a big thing we're fighting for. And, um, you know, so I, I don't, it wouldn't be possible to do that without having a union, you know, um, nobody cares about some like little early ed center in South LA that needs a librarian and a nurse. Mm -hmm. But if there's almost 900 schools, you know, with parents and students with them fighting for having all the resources that you would expect a school to have, you know, then I think we can really make a change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also, oh, that's so great. So what, oh, uh, no, you go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you no, I was just going to add really quickly to what Julie added. You know, um, sometimes I think people who don't have children in schools think like, oh, this doesn't affect me. I mm -hmm. mean, I don't have any children, mm -hmm. but obviously I'm a teacher. So right. it does. I do. Mm -hmm. I am highly invested in the system. <laughs> but, you know, I think um, a good community school is beneficial to everybody in that neighborhood, right? And so like this this past um, April, no, this past May, we were door knocking, mm -hmm. Julie and I were mm -hmm. door knocking for a local school election, school board election. And, you know, we ran into, it was like a young hip area and, you know, people did not necessarily have children, but they were like, no, we're gonna go vote because this is important. And so sometimes we, we you know, first of all, we don't really turn out to vote too much, right? Mm -hmm. But then, much less like if I don't have any children, if I'm 20 something, like, well, I don't have any kids that are go to my local school. But local politics, I feel, are sometimes even more important mm -hmm. than like national politics because it affects you yeah. immediately. But, you know, I also think that there is this connection like that teachers get to have with with a community that you are invested in, you've been there. Um, or if you have to move, you know, you have rights to say like, well, I prefer to stay in this area because I, I know it. So, you know, union jobs, I think overall are just better for all constituents and stakeholders. But I am very proud, like Julie said, you know, to be part of like this movement to really talk about difficult subjects because mm -hmm. it's hard to admit like we failed certain schools, certain um, populations Absolutely. where schools do have to decide. I mean, there's research that says that having a librarian at your school raises test scores and, you know, increases the number of minutes a child will be reading. But we're, you know, at schools, we're making decisions whether we should have a nurse or have a librarian. Mm -hmm. So these are, you know, 
definitely demons that we have to discuss, but I'm so proud to be a part of a movement that isn't afraid to tackle them. That's amazing. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to know if what, what you think, like you, you do so much in the union and as teachers, um, what we can do as uh, civilians, mm-hmm. um, people in the community, like what are some options that we can have to help support the school system? Vote. vote 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 I think having a conversation you know I I think having a conversation with your like we all know teacher friends like you know Mm -hmm. every there's one in every group right um there's 32,000 of us in LA alone not including some charter school teachers so you're bound to know a teacher but Mm -hmm. aside from like the typical, well, you know, I don't have money for art supplies type of conversation, like really going at length at looking what is actually hurting our school system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and although California did turn out for, for Hillary Clinton, you know, people who voted for Trump did not, maybe didn't really care who the next secretary of ed education was mm-hmm. going to be. Um, mm-hmm. But now that, you know, she's there, it's like, being cognizant and just like aware of like the discussions she's having where she says like I don't care who discriminates you know that's not our problem you know for me to say if Indiana schools can discriminate against you know gay and lesbian children or against children with disabilities Mm -hmm. so we have to have these conversations and then we have to get out there and vote um I think if the very least you know I I would ask your local, like when an election comes around, ask your friend who's a teacher, like, who are you supporting? Uh Right. Because we, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, teaching is political work. Many of us can close our doors and just teach. But at the end of the day, the policies that are being made and the laws that are being constructed do affect my classroom. Mm -hmm. So I'm lucky enough to have, you know, to have grown and, found in you know a space for me in the union but at the very least just ask your friend who's a teacher like who are you supporting tell me why mm-hmm. and then you know really get them some consideration to voting yeah i would Very i would cool. echo that and then you know also even the small elections for school board elections for example they're they have an extremely low turnout um so, I mean, to ask a teacher friend and then even if it's like this annoying election that nobody else is voting for, like, <laughs> you should still vote for it. And then also, you know, people who do have kids, I would really encourage you to, like, look and see what is your community public school have to offer. And even if there's a program that you want for your kid that isn't at your public school, like right now, dual language programs are like a lot of parents want that for their kids. And, and your local school might not have that, but you have the right as a parent that lives in L.A., to go to the nearest school that does offer that program, whether it's dual language or whether it's arts or whatever, you know, like you, if you're a savvy parent, you can find an excellent public school for your kid that is, and, and, you know, the great thing is when parents, I've seen it myself. I used to live in Echo Park and I've seen public schools in Silver Lake, you know, that were kind of like questionable when I first moved in, like, Oh, I don't want to send my kid here. I want to send my kid to another one. But then the, community that lived there started sending the kids to the school and now there's like a waiting list out the door you know so I think schools public schools need those middle class families to start 
believing in them, you know? And I mean, you have the cool thing about public schools versus charter schools is that parents have a binding decision-making voice. There's a school site council. You can be on a par- you can be on that council as a parent and you can decide what the school spends its money on, what it prioritizes at charter schools. They only have an advisory decision and the decision is made by the board of directors that is usually like made up of a bunch of CEOs of companies. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. You just educated me so much. You can also be the community no. member there. You don't have to be a parent. So like if you just, you know, really, like if you just bought a home somewhere, like I want to be part of this community, like you can join your your local school leadership council as a community member. So I there's really very little reason why you shouldn't get involved. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're all busy and stuff. But I, I completely agree with what, what Julie just said. It was very well done, Julie. Thanks. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I, I think, uh, well, this is, we're asking everybody this, um, just to kind of wrap it up, but um, it's kind of on a broader sc- uh, scope, what you would say to young women nowadays, you would advise, if you, I mean, you do, I assume, have advice for young women or a uh, younger generation of women, uh, what they can do to um, just, eh, just keep it very broad, like any advice for young women. Love your body. Yes. Yeah. Love your body. Love your body. I think, you know, I just had this conversation with a, a high school graduate who is stunningly beautiful. And her sister is equally as gorgeous, but they have different body types. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you're 17 and a half years old. Girl, like, just rock it. I don't care <laughs> what you look <laughs> You know, and I I think we don't hear that enough. And I wish somebody would have told me, like, love your body a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Because that that shit follows you. Oh, absolutely. And we're taught at such such a young age that, oh, you don't look like this. Well, you need to look like this. And you try so hard to fit into that mold. And by the time you're in your 30s, you're still, you look back and you're like, I wish I had just appreciated that while I have it. And you know what? I should appreciate what I have right now, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So that's great advice. That is. I yeah. wish I wish that you would have gone last because that would have been a way better one to end on than mine. Mine was um, <laughs> look into engineering. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so true. We can edit this, right? Like, you can do yours first. <laughs> Because I mean, when I, you know, I grew up in like a middle class home with two parents, like I had like a lot of privileges that a lot of kids don't have. And um, I, when I got to college, I thought an engineer was the person that was like on a train. Like, I think I thought an engineer was the same as a conductor. (laughs) (laughs) And I really didn't know what an engineer was. And like now, um, you know, I always tell all my female students, um, that, that are interested in math or at least like tolerate math or good at it. Or, you know, I, I'd probably tell the other ones too, but I'm like, you know, you should really look into engineering because it, it makes up such a big part of our society. Like everything is made and designed by white men right now for the most part, you know? And I think, um, I think that it, that's a field that a lot of women just don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think like if we want things to more be more equal and we want, you know, like, we want to have everything that men have. We need to start designing it. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, don't be intimidated and like, don't be afraid to look into something new. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why tampons are like filled with chemicals and stuff. It's because we don't right. make them. <laughs> um, not that engineers make tampons, but you know what I mean. Somewhere down the line. Yes, yeah, exactly. 
Um, one more thing I wanted to ask was, uh, so you both have obviously been a part of the LAUSD for over a decade each. Um, so what would you like to see happen in the next 10 years? A complete revolution. <laughs> um, definitely. I mean, I think my biggest thing is lowering class size because um, here in L.A., I mean, Gloria alluded to 30 kid classrooms, but in secondary school and high school, you can have over 40 kids in a class. That's and so many kids. When I know that like when when I got my national board certification, the um, the person who was helping me told me, oh yeah, like, you know, I read, um, I, I like watch some of the videos. Cause when you become a national board certified teacher, you have to have videos of yourself teaching. And, and he said, I can always tell the videos of teachers from California because they have so such large classes. Um, I think we're 47th on the list of states out of 50 of like in per pupil funding right now. And yeah. we have some of the <laughs> largest class sizes. So it, it makes such a huge difference because I don't know, like I, I feel like it, it is so problematic, like just for anybody, but especially like I think of myself like a white teacher who did not grow up in this community. And like you're told as a middle school teacher, like, oh, you have to be such a disciplinarian. And then you go to these trainings that are like almost militaristic behavior control, you know, it's because you have such large classrooms and that's just that's just like fucked up, you know, and and. Then I've also mm -hmm. had the experience where I have smaller classrooms with like under 30 kids occasionally. And it, it seems like a luxury to me, but then you don't have to be like a drill sergeant. You mm -hmm. don't have to have everyone like lining up completely straight and like doing everything exactly at the same time because it's like a manageable number. So I think if we ever want to start trying to break that school to prison pipeline and school to military pipeline, like we have to individualize more for the kids. And you just can't do that. If you have six classes a day and each class has 43 kids in it like how are you ever going to give that personal experience and make it so it's not like an assembly line like prison camp you know it's mm -hmm. really hard yeah I yeah. like to see more wraparound services I think um I've seen because I teach elementary like I've seen so many of my students that are definitely like artistic and musically inclined I certainly don't have like the skill to bring that out and like nurture that in my students. I have no artistic talent, but I can be a great backup dancer. But <laughs> you know, I've all, I've had students where I feel like, oh my god, your poetry, your drawings, like the beat, you know, the rhythm, the fact that you can count like and keep step, so impressive, right? And I think so, definitely more arts, but you know, wraparound services where I feel like the community can really invest in knowing, like, I can go to my school as, like, a truth zone, mm -hmm. right? I can go to my school if um, if I need a sanctuary. I can go to my school if we need we need um, some medical attention but can't necessarily afford it, mm. right? But, you know, counselors, I feel a lot of our students, like I said at the beginning, come in with some harsh truths that, maybe as teachers we're not prepared to handle mm -hmm. um oh you know or maybe we're overwhelmed with the amount of students in our class that we miss it or you know students fall through the cracks mm -hmm. but you know I think of like you know like, like I'm like on a huge Kendrick Lamar kick right now but I think like he's a product of Los Angeles schools right and he talks about like a negative experience, but I always wonder like, what if we had like wraparound services where mm -hmm. we caught this child? Like maybe he wouldn't have become who he is now without that anger or that, you know, but how do we address these needs 
where at least the kids feel completely safe and protected and taken care of in the school site. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you can say, yeah, I know your home is n- n- kind of fucked up, right? But when you're here, like, you can trust us. And if you need help, we're going to get it for you, right? And I don't think we're at a place where we prioritize that, unfortunately. And I also don't think mm-hmm. that we're in a place where we can offer that to our neediest schools because, truth be told, that's a lot of schools that, and a lot of students that need those kind of services. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wraparound services that really take family and community needs into consideration um, with, like, small class sizes, like, that would be the winning ticket. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, so, speaking... For myself, this has been truly eye-opening and and really informative, and I would love to join your revolution. And woohoo! Now there's three of us. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. It's been. It's all. It's. I mean, it's such a pleasure to talk to Julie. I'm so happy to like meet. Like, uh, it's just like so nice to like get like a window into the world of of where you are and like what we can do and like really. Um, explore it because it's so close to us and it also feels like kind of inaccessible in, in ways too but it's mm-hmm. not it's not no yeah um mm-hmm. yeah I, I I honestly going into this well obviously I've read your emails but I'm like I didn't realize that mm-hmm. there was such an active union for teachers and um I'm really happy as a Los Angelino to know that you guys are two very active members um, Thank you. We'll let you know when we have our next rally. Yes, yeah, please do. Yes, yes, please. We'll be there. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, too. Yeah. Well, thank you for having us. us. Of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gloria, Julie, you are both boss bitches. We hope you know that. Yes, you are. Thank you. Thanks. Keep fighting the good fight. I've officially been certified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah.